Apparently, they're not every four years. According, well, according to this amazing article on Wikipedia. So when is leap year? They are every four years, most of the time, except every hundred years, we skip a leap year unless that year, that century year, is divisible evenly by 400. So I guess that means we do, we skip it three, every, every hundred years, three times in a row, and then we hit it every fourth hundred year. Is someone keeping track? Have we actually done that? Though? Like, is there someone keeping track of that? Apparently. Hmm. Well, yes, I, I, people are keeping track. I'm this sure. was in Poor Richard's Almanac. You found this out? Well, no, I found this on Wikipedia, but oh. I, I was checking it since we're going to be talking about founding fathers and stuff today. I, I was reading up on um, Poor Richard's Almanac, which was published and written by uh, Ben Franklin. And it's in the in the lead article, the lead picture in the uh, Wikipedia article, there's a picture of his almanac. And it says, for the year of Christ, 1739, being the third year after leap year. And then he says what year that is in a bunch of other calendars, including the, the Jewish calendar. And he hit that on the nose. It's 5,500 with 1739. Anyway, it just got me thinking about leap year hmm. since 2020, wow. where we are now, yeah. is a leap year. We just well, had it, yeah. We had leap day. What did you guys do on your leap day? Um, What did I do? When was that? Yesterday? Was uh, that? Last Saturday? <laughs> I think it was last Saturday. I think I got drunk. There you go. <laughs> I, had, I had the best pizza of the... Well, I was going to say my life, but it's oh. I, it was a really good pizza I had here in Bozeman, and it was cheeseless. Where? I'm thinking about- Cheeseless? Where were you? I was a Blackbird. Cheeseless? It's it's like, it's very, it's a very San Francisco style place with like really, you know, delicious uh, Neapolitan style pizza uh, with the sourdough crust and great pasta Ooh. and great vegetables and stuff. It's just mm. great beer, great wine. It's a good spot. Sounds good. Phoebe and I got, uh, we got burrata as a starter. So we had a ton of cheese to begin with. And then when the pizza came around, we had this really simple marinara pizza with garlic and mm. prosciutto. And it was just absolutely heavenly. Sounds tasty. That does sound tasty. I was in a home in Phoenix last weekend, and I actually did go to a brewery Ooh, while there. Excellent. And I went to one that was, you know, I see a lot, and Rich, you're probably going to be familiar with it, which is uh, Arizona Wilderness. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah it was good, great. That's good beer. They just opened, like, a, a tap room down downtown, kind of near where my parents live, so it was great to go there. But okay. they had a, um, I had a Carrot de Garde, which was a, a beer de Garde with a carrot, with carrot flavoring. Ooh, how Whoa. was how was it? It was great. It was good. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it was my favorite. Honestly, I'd say, like, there are a couple other beers, a couple Saisons in particular like that were great. But the carrot de garde, it had it was like carrot juice with sour beer. It's, it's like the simplest way to deliver it. Like it definitely had a strong carroty flavor, like that huh. sort of sweet carrotiness, and it was really good. Oh wow! It was, I was really glad I got it. There's this bar by my house that people have been telling me to go to. They're supposed to make really great cocktails. I go with my buddy. I'm, I'm walking in. I'm like, oh man, this is my this is my spot. This is my spot. It's a nice vibe. The dude was like, uh, yeah, man, we don't have a menu. You tell us what you like, and we hook you, hook it up for you. And, I, and they he had, said carrot beer. Yeah, no, 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 it wasn't carrot beer. But they had four roses, uh, small batch, which I like, and I like it better than the the single barrel. And I said, yeah, yeah, just I like I like Manhattan's. I like old fashions. And he made me this. Oh, this dope, this dope, beautiful drink. And I was like, oh, great. And so me and my boy had a round. And I was like, let's get another round, two rounds. And my boy was drinking a special that was for like 10 bucks or something like that. Uh-oh. Man, we, <laughs> so I'm thinking it's going to be like $15 at the most. <laughs> I get the bill. It was $25 a drink, man. <laughs> oh, no. I'm like, I'm not... <laughs> I'm not coming back to this job. There's no warning whatsoever. I mean, look, just, the, the, cock, the cocktail was fantastic. The service mm-hmm. was great. I just wish the brother would have said, yo, man, it's, it's $25. It's $25 for this. It's, and Four Roses. I could buy a bottle of Four Roses for like 30 <laughs> Anyway, so that's, that's what I did. Leap day or the day before. One of them. Well, you now know that you know the taste of a $25 cocktail that yeah, you wouldn't you know. have gotten yeah. otherwise probably. Should have been 16 <laughs> all right well everyone hey uh welcome everybody to liquid bread i feel like i need to think of uh the right citation you are now cheers drinking with yeah liquid bread
Cheers, Cheers. also works. Cheers. Cheers. Oh, good. Uh, I'm Maddie Smith. With me uh, across the table is my buddy Larry Bates. And on the line, we've got from Bozen, Montana, the number one yeasty boy, Rich Higgins. <laughs> I don't know what's going wants, on, Rich. I don't know if he wants to be known as the yeasty number, boy. Number, yes. number one yeasty boy. <laughs> oh, uh, I'm all right with that. I get the right. play the play on Beastie Boy. I just yeah. got it. Okay, okay. Oh, there you go. <laughs> my mind, my mind went somewhere else. So I don't know. I guess we can kind of get into it because we have sort of a long story to discuss. But first of all, I guess before we get into that, um, the topic today is yeah the founding fathers and beer just a few of the little stories of how they uh, enjoyed the beverage and a part of the part it played in our the founding fathers founding fathers of of the united states oh, oh. the primaries were this week too so it's oh. on theme so we have oh, the primaries were in a very american mood oh. um, the founding fathers of the united states of america oh, okay so uh but before that let's do a quick discussion of this uh, our tasting oh. beer is uh choco vesa from stone from Stone Brewery uh, that Rich picked out. So, you know, go grab one of those if you don't already have one, if you want to taste along later in the episode. But when I bought the Chocovesa, I found it um, at a BevMo and I sent the snapshot to Rich and Larry. I said, I don't know what I said. I think I just sent the snapshot just to show that I found it. <laughs> and Rich's response was just a little bit of a warning to be careful. Just because in the past, uh, a couple times at BevMo, we've noted that the uh, storage of the beer at BevMo can be a little warm and it could potentially cook the beer. Not a problem in the case of Choco Vesa, probably because it's a high alcohol beverage. But uh, I do think that kind of, you know, opened a bigger discussion. I mean, BevMo is still a good store. Just in general, that's something to kind of be aware of. But also, I think there are a lot of myths and misconceptions about temperature of beer and yeah. storage. Some people say like, oh, once it's cold, if it gets warmed up, it's ruined forever. I've heard uh, that. So Rich, uh, do you want to talk about that? Both kind of addressing, you know, first the topic of shopping and, and storage and stuff, but then just generally what to be aware of. You want to keep your beer uh, nice and fresh and not cooked. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's a super important topic. Basically, when beer is kept cold, you know, the point of refrig- refrigerating anything is to help help it last. You know, you're fighting off any sort of bacteria that might be in there. You're um, fighting off any sort of uh, oxidative uh, processes, things like that. And if you keep your beer cold, it's going to stay fresher longer. Okay, that's that's just hands down. Um, that's the way you want to uh, store your beer. However, if you store it warm, it's still going to taste fine. It's just is going to start to, you know, all beer is perishable. So it's going to start to turn bad a little little faster than than uh, cold beer would. So, you know, I mean, nothing nothing against BevMo. Be- BevMo is a great store. It's a great resource for getting good beer because they carry tons and tons of brands. And they really uh, focus a lot on uh, serving ton- or selling tons of craft beers. So that's something I really appreciate. And I've bought tons of beer at BevMo over the years. However, I've noticed that a trade-off with having a really large beer selection is that that it's expensive to keep it all refrigerated. You know, refrigeration costs money, right? Mm. And it takes up real estate and all that. So they've made the choice to, you know, carry some of their beer cold and sell the rest of it at room temperature. You know, you know, it's it's it can be a bit of a roll of the dice. I think some beers that are higher in alcohol or higher in hop bitterness, those are two natural preservatives in beer. So those beers, I wouldn't, you know, have a problem buying if, you know, if it had been warm stored. However... Oh. Uh, other beers, yeah, you might want to consider trying to get the cold stuff. What about this um, notion that Maddie was talking about? Because this is, yeah. I heard, I heard this a lot when I was when I was bartending, and we'd store our beer and then we would fr- refrigerate it. It was like, oh, once it's cold, it can't get warm again. You can't drink it. It's going to be, it's gonna yeah. Be up. It don't don't worry about that. Basically, you know, you want to keep it as you know cold for as much as you know as much time as possible. However, you know if for whatever reason uh, you need to take it out of the fridge and let it warm up um, and then put it back in the fridge, that's fine. Basically, just consider when it's out of the fridge, it's not cold, and so it might be starting to, to turn uh, or age faster. And getting it hot and cold and hot doesn't really matter. It's not going to affect the uh, you know the carbonation level in the beer. It's, it's not going to ruin the beer at all. 
Cool. And there are certain beers that do a little better when kept cold or, or should be kept cold more, right? Like IPAs, I think they age a little faster, right? Am I wrong? Totally. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They age. So, I mean, some of the other aging processes, I, I know it sounds gross to talk about like oxidation or mm. bacterial issues, but some of the other issues that happen with beer are bitterness. Bitterness levels decrease. Um, hop aromas decrease. Uh, with time and uh, again warm storage accelerates that the effects of time and um, you know cool cold storage you know slow down the effect of time but now um, you said some... but, but you said that hops would preserve the beer right those are nat- natural preservatives so yeah it, so, so aging aging the beer and preserving it are, are different is, is that what you're saying yeah yeah well it's it's, it's kind of counterintuitive but basically the bitterness from the hops uh, help to fight off bacteria mm-hmm. um most of that bacteria, though, is potentially introduced, you know, during during early stages of the fermentation process before the beer ever gets in the bottle or anything like that. And so the more bitterness level you have in there, the more the beer will be protected throughout its life. And especially, you know, even though with time the bitterness will fade, that beer was more protected than a beer that had less bitterness to begin with, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. time time's not real friendly to beer. However, mm-hmm. there are some beers that are really age-worthy. They're ageable. And so, you know, I've got a cellar. Well, actually, I don't anymore. But when I lived in San Francisco, I had a cellar with beers that were, you know, uh, 12, 15 years old. Um, you know, we <laughs> we had some serious parties and bashes to, to blow through, um, which was super fun. And those beers were, were great. You know, and those beers tend to be high in alcohol. Um, and uh, so they tend to age fine uh, or, or be protected because of that alcohol. Um, the bitterness levels will drop, but those the beers that are age-worthy, you don't really – uh, drink for the for the bitterness you drink you know so maddie you're always talking about brewery beers you have a ton of beers from the brewery mm-hmm. um those beers tend to be you know 12 15 18 percent alcohol so just, i just want to say just to be clear because i beer. i tend to mention this brewery a lot because i like it a lot yeah uh, rich and larry and i have, have drunk there before and i'm a member there so i oh. get a lot of their beers to roll um to so i'm but i'm just wanted to point out for the audience a lot of time we'll say the brewery beers and by that we mean <laughs> b-r-u-e-r-y Specifically referring to a brewery yeah. in uh, Placentia near in, in Anaheim, California. Basically, uh, just want to make that clear. Just if anyone's listening and confused, why we keep we'll, so we'll say the brewery, the brewery. Yeah, okay, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's delicious beer. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a brewery that is called the brewery, yeah. and um, yeah, it's it's great beer, and a lot of it is is great uh, at aging. So not only does the alcohol help to protect it from any sort of bacterial issues, but it also has enough. You know, it often has live yeast in it. It has enough residual sugars as well as other flavor compounds that can combine and, and transform and really evolve with time with, with within that beer. And so if you keep that sort of beer super cold, you're going to slow down that evolution. Hmm. So, you know, keeping it cold will slow down the, you know, negative evolution as well as positive evolution of a beer. And again, most beers you want to drink as fresh as possible. So you don't care about positive evolution. There's there's not an opportunity for positive evolution in most beers like an IPA or a Pilsner, uh, things like that. But in, you know, higher alcohol beers that have, you know, Belgian yeast in them or English ale yeast or something, those do age really gracefully and they can be great and taste very different one year two years five years ten years after they've been brewed cool i think that someone will have to do a primer on um just the best approach to to aging at aging home yeah and how That'd to set great. that up for a number we'll definitely get to that yeah awesome yeah uh, well thanks rich and uh, why don't we just get to the uh, the main subject of 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 the show so today today we're gonna we're gonna kind of delve into some some beer history it's gonna be more cultural and again because the, the founding fathers the the primaries for this week we're talking about the f- the founding fathers and we're gonna tell the story of the washington <laughs> and the hair um so all right larry <laughs> so why don't you just uh read that quote right there I drink no cider, but feast upon Philadelphia beer and porter. 
A gentleman, one Mr. Hare, has lately set up in this city a manufactory of porter as good as any that comes from London. I pray we may introduce it into the Massachusetts. It agrees with me. Infinitely better than punch, wine, or cider, or any other spirituous liquor. That was written in a letter from John Adams. That was a great John Adams letter. Thank you. From letter from John Adams to his wife Abigail in September of 1774, particularly in reference to an English-style porter brewed by Robert Hare, which served as the beer of choice for the attendees of the First and Second Continental Congress. George Washington once called the brew the quote best porter in Philadelphia. We all know that right now the United States is as hot a place as anywhere in the world for the craft beer movement. We're familiar with beer-fueled Fourth of July barbecues baseball games, and ads from major brands like Budweiser, Coors, and Miller that incorporate American imagery as inherent to the brew, and we know of the massive cultural upheaval caused by prohibition in the early 1900s. And in our last episode, Rich touched on the subject of beer culture's role in immigration, such as with German immigrants in the Midwest. But you might not be familiar with just how embedded beer, not just liquor or drinking culture, but beer specifically, is in the country's DNA. And also, before we get into it, uh, when I first reached out about this subject, Rich brought up a very, very important point. So as is the problem with much of history, we have to rely on what has been written and recorded, and that almost always means the perspective skews towards the aristocracy and the privileged class, often, especially in the United States, the white perspective. And much of what we'll discuss today is focused on the Founding Fathers' experience and what has become national myth. So, you know, the likes of Washington, Adams, and Jefferson were people with privilege, access, and urgency, and their experience was often different from how your average colonist drank, and there's even less on um, the Native American experience or the experience of the enslaved. So there's a more social history that we'll hopefully be able to explore further and give its proper due at a later date. And keep in mind uh, that while today's topic is meant to show some of Beer's prominent cultural role throughout history, it is only one small piece of a greater historical puzzle that continues to be assembled. That was very well said. Well, I took what Rich said. I took what yeah. Rich wrote in an email and I, I mean, you really, wrote some of my own and we you really tried to piece it together. Yeah, you really finessed that, man. <laughs> I tried. That was really, I, I tried. It was really great. I tried. You know? I, 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 I do ha- like how you mentioned that they have urgency, not agency. Did I say urgency? <laughs> you did say urgency. Should I go back and read it all over again? Maybe I spoke too soon. Oh, hey, when they when they need to go to the bathroom, you know, when you got to go, you got to go, right? There were people with privilege, accents, ac- accents, oh, good Lord, <laughs> access and agency. Oh, yeah. But boy. I think that was good, you know, that was a good thing, Rich, for you to point out. Yeah, though. 100%, Rich. Oh, thanks. I yeah. also think beer specifically is a very social, very, I don't know, blue collars or like working class, like the people drink beer and you don't always get that perspective. So obviously we'll try to get it as much as we can. Yeah. All right. Uh, so let's go back to uh, the story. It starts on the Mayflower where passengers relied on beer as a great source of both nutrition and hydration, as water at the time was much less safe to drink. Water, you never knew what was in it, you know. Any water well or, or uh, you know, river could have the plague in it or something. So people would get sick drinking water, and they didn't know why they were getting sick, but they knew that, you know, the more water they drank, the more they got sick. And if they drank beer instead, it would be safer to drink. And we're not talking about, again, we're not talking about the beers from the brewery that are 10 or 15% alcohol. You know, we're talking about beers that are like, Two percent alcohol. Um, that was what. That, that was like the daily sipper of most of Northern Europe for you know for centuries because it was safe. That's to drink. something that kind of comes up. So I've seen like varying um, descriptions of what they knew. It feels like the situation was they didn't necessarily know why beer was safer. 
but they knew it was mm-hmm. safer. Yeah, exactly. And it's, you know, we were talking about alcohol being a preservative. In the case of those 2% alcohol beers, there's not really enough alcohol to help keep the beer clean. But what happens during the brewing process is uh, the wort, um, before it turns into beer, before it ferments into beer, is boiled for, you know, half an hour, an hour, an hour and a half, something like that. So it kills all the salmonella and E. coli and giardia and all that stuff that's in in the river water or in the well water. So it sanitizes the water that turns into the beer. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, those those beers are safe to drink. Awesome. Yeah, and that's definitely going to come up later when we talk about things like the Trappists and stuff like that. I feel Mm -hmm. it's such a huge part of history. Yeah, sure. The beers didn't always taste good, I should say, but (laughs) they were safer than than the water. And so uh, some historians even believe that many of the travelers started exhibiting signs of scurvy only after the nutritional beer started to run out, that just the sheer loss of that nutritional supply left them more susceptible and vulnerable. Well, they were drinking carrot beers most of the time, so they got a lot of good (laughs) I I didn't get scurvy this weekend. I'm feeling good. And in uh, Drinking in America, Our Secret History, Susan Cheever even argues that the choice to land at Plymouth Rock rather than continuing down to Virginia was made because of a dwindling supply of beer and the desire to have enough for a return trip. Obviously, they never made that return trip. So then moving forward, as settlers continued to migrate to America, many brought along brewing equipment, and the brew house was often one of the first buildings to go up in a community. Uh, these brew houses were a perfect meeting place for colonists to socialize and organize. One of the biggest beer lovers in American history was our first president, George Washington. Now, many Americans enjoyed the drink. Uh, In rural areas, small batch home brewing was common, and taverns would sell beers to travelers in between destinations, while larger breweries served the bigger cities. Uh, And Washington was no difference. And like we said before, George Washington was not the average American. No, he was not. Yes, uh, but there was a, a little bit of overlap. Records of orders to Washington's Mount Vernon estate consistently included not just beer, but beer in large quantities. For instance, in 1762, Washington put in an order to London brewer Thomas Dale for 492 bottles of Dorset beer. Mount Vernon's inventory also indicates massive collections of beer mugs and other drinking vessels, as Washington often served beer at various social events, parties, and throughout his election campaigns. Washington even partook in a little bit of experimental home brewing. In 1757, around the age of 25, Washington wrote a list of, quote, sundry things to be done in Williamsburg if I go down in November, and followed it with the following now-famous small beer recipe. To make small beer, (laughs) take a large sifter full of bran hops to your taste. Boil these three hours, then strain out 30 gallons into a cooler, put in three gallons molasses while the beer is scalding hot, or rather... Draw the molasses into the cooler and strain the beer on it while boiling hot. Let this stand till it is little more than blood warm, then put in a quart of yeast. If the weather is very cold, cover it with a blanket and let it work in the cooler 24 hours, then put it into the cask. Leave the bong open till it is almost done working. Bottle it that day. Week it was brewed. No commas. No comment. <laughs> no comment. I, I, I preserved the original <laughs> punctuation. No, I, no, I was, that's what I was, that, was, yeah. that wasn't on you. That was on George Washington. <laughs> yeah. It didn't. It didn't make it easy for I me to notes for impersonate. Him. I appreciate that George was different from uh, Adams. Yeah, he, yeah, he's, he's, he has a yeah. raspier voice. Yeah, he's more. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hear he wasn't very punctual. That being a lack of punctuation. Punctuation, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Rich, do you want to briefly touch on this? I know your, your response to this was that this wasn't exactly a small beer, but yeah, I'm not. It's a little confusing to me, um, and it, <laughs> ignoring the uh, the punctuation issues, it uh, so small <laughs> beer to most of to most of uh, the, the the beer world, small beer is a 
it's sort of like a free beer. It's like the it's like leftover sort of. So when you're making a batch of regular strength beer, you use you know a certain amount of malt. Okay, so say like you're making a big batch of beer that you hope to be five or six percent alcohol. You might use a thousand pounds of malt for it. During the process of removing sugars from that malt, there's a rinsing process where you rinse all that malt with warm water. And if you uh, continue to rinse that malt to get all the sugar out of it, you can end up diluting your beer down a little bit. And so there's a way of brewing where you actually use one batch of malt, uh, but you rinse it more than once. And each of these rinses turns into a different beer. And so a small beer is sort of like the less desirable beer because it is less sugar coming out of all that malt. And it has a little bit more of that rinse water to make up the difference. And so a small beer is typically, you know, a much lower in alcohol. A beer might be, you know, one, two, three percent alcohol. And it's just like a way of using your your malt that you were going to use for that first beer. You use it again for for a second beer. So you get two beers for the price of one if you're the so uh, the the uh, Washington uh, George Washington recipe that Larry so patriotically just read there is not really referring to that, or it, it might imply it somewhere, you know, but it's not really included in that actual okay. passage. So. Not, not sure why he called it small beer. However, yeah, he added molasses, which is a typical thing for, for the time. There aren't a lot of beers brewed with molasses nowadays. Um, it's Nowadays, it's kind of more expensive to brew with. Um, but back at the time, it was cheap because it, it was uh, produced uh, using slave labor um, down in the Caribbean. And so there was a lot of molasses coming to the United States, or what at the time was colonial Britain, I guess. But it was uh, what we now call the U.S. And uh, they also used a lot of corn because that was that grew very well in the U.S. Uh, barley was much more finicky, and um, a lot of European varieties that were brought over with the European settlers didn't take so well to the American soil and American climate and stuff like that. So it was a slow go to produce a lot of beer that had very European characteristics for a while because, again, they were using things like pumpkins and corn in their beer to, to sort of bump up the alcohol mm-hmm. level. What else? Yeah, I mean, like licorice, potatoes, sweet potatoes, like whatever you want, you know, licorice. as long as it's got some starch in it yeah. or some sugar, it'll ferment. It'll ferment, yeah. um, gotcha. But it's not typical for European-style beer, certainly. And I'll point out there's not a ton of records. This quote-unquote small beer recipe has gotten kind of prominent and is shared a lot, but it seems like he actually didn't brew a ton himself. It seemed like it was just a little bit of experimental tinkering, and it also seemed like the majority of his drinking um, is seen in these large, large orders, or at least pre-Revolutionary War, of English beer, which I'll get back to in a second. Then another very notable colonial beer lover was Thomas Jefferson. Jefferson often served beer as a, quote, table liquor, And the earliest designs for Monticello even included a brewery and a beer cellar. Again, most people could not afford a brewery or a beer cellar. In the early days of their marriage, Martha Jefferson apparently brewed a 15-gallon batch of beer every two weeks. Among the listed necessities for a home that Jefferson shared with James Monroe in 1784 were ale glasses. And while it wasn't until the 1810s that Jefferson really got into brewing, Jefferson in 1793 wrote in a letter to a friend about being forced to stay in Philadelphia away from his home longer than he hoped. This will give you a start in your manufactures of porter and macaroni, in which, however, I will certainly attempt to rival you. <laughs> That's interesting, Jefferson. That's our Jefferson. Yeah, that was that was. Um, he had just got into a fight at the bar drinking, but gotcha. uh, George Washington's recipe <laughs> got hit in the throat when he said that. <laughs> The dreaded throat punch. (laughs) Yeah, so you kind of had this little letter of friendly competition. And I think you can see that even at that point, um, that early point in American history, people were drinking beer. They were drinking beer together. People were serving beer. And people were appreciating good beer. And macaroni. And they were making macaroni. (laughs) Uh, I... (laughs) it's important to note that macaroni at the time was a term for like fancy fashion and style so like 
stuck a feather in his hat and called it macaroni. Ah. But basically, like he 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 put some bling on his hat, you know, turned his hat into something stylish and cool. So mm. macaroni was just like an imported some style cheese. He put some fashion. cheese. But also, on we stuff. don't know for sure that he wasn't talking about, about the pasta. Just, we don't know. No, it's possible. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get back to that porter that John Adams was so fond of. A uh, beer that in its short lifespan embodied the revolutionary spirit of our founding fathers. Robert Hare was born in 1752, the third son in an affluent family. His father was a brewer who specialized in porter, a relatively new beer style at the time. Yeah, basically like the early 1700s. It was about probably 50 years old by, by then. In 1773, Hare emigrated to Philadelphia, where he is believed to have become the first brewer of the porter style in the United States. Now, these were the years leading up to the Revolutionary War, which would last from 1775 to 1783. So, of course, there was not just a growing anti-British sentiment, but more and more of a dependence on American products that would culminate in Washington's Buy American Policy in 1789. But again, they also loved beer, and they had a taste for British beer. So there wasn't more perfect timing than Robert Hare moving to Philly in 1773 to brew an English-style beer that they all loved but could now drink in good conscience as an American beer. They could call it American. Mm. That's what we do. We take the things, and then we just call <laughs> yeah, it ours. Exactly what that's what we're doing here. So, uh, and thanks to various letters and other historical documents written by the United States Founding Fathers, it's likely that many of our earliest documents, uh, Declaration of Independence chief among them, were conceived, discussed, or even penned with a glass of Harris Porter in hand. Hold on, hold on. Yeah. Not a glass. Oh, right? Not a oh glass. shoot. Uh, a, um, a, stein, a metal stein oh, so, a cup. So it wasn't glass? What were they drinking out probably, of? Probably a tankard is my guess. A yeah, glass was... So you mentioned earlier that, you know, Thomas Jefferson included, you know, in this place he stayed with, with uh, James Monroe, he talked about ale glasses. Mm -hmm. So that's a sign of the aristocracy back in the, back in the day. Hmm. So we were talking during episode one, when we were talking about Pilsner being so popular, it wasn't until the middle of the 1800s right. that glass became, you know, able to be produced in mass quantities cheaply enough for most people to drink out of it. So if you're in the pub in the 1780s, you're drinking out of tankards. If you're at, you know, at Monticello at uh, Thomas Jefferson's house, you might be drinking out of a, a fancy glass great and also one thing i'll note also and, and beer is not the only beverage everyone is drinking cider is very prominent uh we got a lot of apples so we're making a lot of cider yeah yeah cider was huge and and also the the drafters of the constitution they all loved they loved wine madeira wine was very popular so those were those were there it wasn't he like also was mentioned drink. punch earlier what was in their punch what was in there do you know anything about colonial punch rich i don't i don't know <laughs> i wish i did when i saw that i was like ah. Oh. I should know about that. The success of Hare's beer catapulted him to wealth and high social esteem, and he would later enter politics and reach as high as chair of the Pennsylvania Senate. We know how the Revolutionary War went, and in the late 1780s, states ratified the U.S. Constitution. Beer was, of course, a large part of the celebratory festivities for each state, and in parades, brewers proudly waved flags and marched with brewing equipment. For instance, uh, in Philadelphia's procession, they were, quote, ten in number headed by Reuben Haynes with ten ears of barley in their hats and fashes of hop vines carrying malt shovels and mashing oars, a standard carried by Luke Morris decorated with the brewer's arms and the motto, Home Brewed is Best. Fantastic. Home Brewed is Best. Sadly... <laughs> Sadly, in 1790, Robert Hare's brewery was lost to a fire, the original recipe with it. There are recipes that attempt to recreate it that can be found on the internet if anyone wants to try, although many say it also just doesn't taste all that great. Rich, have you had a lot of kind of older 
you know, beers attempting to replicate early beer? Yeah, I've had a handful. Um, they can be totally delicious. You know, a lot of these, there's a lot of stock put into like the original recipe. You know, a lot of like big breweries talk about, you know, like going back in their archives to find the original recipe. A lot of these things were just sort of, you know, they, they changed year to year depending on, you know, how many how many hops they could get their hands on or mm. you know, what quality the hops were, what quality the, the barley was. And the, the malting process was so variable that, you know, just because a malt looked to be the same color as the last malt you used, doesn't necessarily mean it was going to produce the same amount of fermentable sugar or the same amount of tannin or whatever. You know, there's so many different variables. So I'm sure writing down these recipes was almost a moot point. You basically, if you were a good brewer, you knew how to turn these ingredients into something pretty tasty. And if you weren't a good brewer, then you know you didn't stay in business very long. So while Pears Porter was quite popular with the founders, in the U.S. at least, the style itself never really caught on. And people seemed to prefer the more typical ales and lagers that they were used to. Um, Rich, would you say like lagers were probably the most popular yeah. throughout, like leading to the 1800s? Yeah, I'd, I'd like to comment on that a little bit. Um, so lagers really didn't come to the U.S. until there was a large uh, influx of German immigration, um, hmm. which didn't happen until like the 1830s, 1840s. So the basic kind of benchmark year for the first lagers being brewed in the United States is 1840. They became very popular at that point, um, especially being brewed on the East Coast in Brooklyn and New York and Philadelphia. But they also, within a couple decades, uh, huge empires of, of brewing were you know focused in St. Louis and Milwaukee, for instance, um, places like that. So what they were probably drinking uh, right around the 1800, 1810 and stuff like that were some of the beers that were also popular in Great Britain, but also Great Britain's colonies like India. So things like the Pale Ale, what we now know of uh, or know as the India Pale Ale, things like that. So those were the kind of the beers that were most in vogue at the time. But Porter definitely had a lasting impact on, in the United States, but it kind of fizzled out pretty relatively quickly. But still, uh, it seems that Harris Porter was a source of pride, not just that the fledgling nation could brew a beer, but a quality beer. Um, as in a letter to the Marquis de Lafayette in 1789, George Washington wrote the following. We have already been too long subject to British prejudices. I use no porter or cheese in my family, but such as is made in America. Both these articles may now be purchased of an excellent quality. All right, that's enough. Okay. <laughs> and so there you go. And so there, and that's just a small portion of the long-storied history of beer in the United States. Uh, Harris Porter, yeah, it just lasted a, the, that specific porter made by Robert Hare did not last a long time, hmm. but it still shows just how this drink can play an important, relevant role to people throughout history. Yeah. Right? So now, uh, you know, various approximations, like we said, of early beers can be found at breweries across the country, and recipes for home brewing can be found online. Like I said, we read that recipe for Washington's beer, even though, as Rich pointed out, it's kind of confusing and incomplete but you can try <laughs> and there's even a new brewery coming to lansdale pennsylvania in the next few months i don't know rich if you we haven't talked about this the your brewery you're being german for original uh that among other brews is going to serve robert Hare's colonial porter oh wow yeah so if you're in near lansdale pennsylvania i guess you'll be able to check that out the budweiser so, one it looks like it was called freedom reserve freedom reserve yeah and they brew, that was a founding father's recipe yeah, I think it was it was it supposed Washington's. to be George Washington's recipe. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. I never tried it. Rich, do you have any uh, last comments um, on that little piece of history? Yeah. You, um, first of all, Larry, you really channeled, you know, you, you took us back I, in time I, there. I did you know? good. I, I realized that my accents for both Georges, because I did George twice, could have been different. <laughs> but I just want the, I want the <laughs> listeners to know... One was George at a different age, and one was him at another level of maturity in his life. 
So, you know, um, yeah. Yeah. I think that came through. <laughs> yeah. One was the young, excitable, yeah, homebrewing George. Yeah, one was the young, excitable one. And one was, one was the new president. The George, new president, yeah. kind of um, victorious yeah. general guy. Keep in mind, the more more people that were born in America, the, the more the British accent faded. But, you know, go farther back in time, you, the more English the accent would have been. Yeah, so I think he would have been. Younger George might have sounded more English. Yeah, he would have been more close to like the, what we, yeah, what we would call standard Yeah, but sometimes American. as you get, sometimes as you move up. As you move up, you start talking a little more fancy. Yeah. You, know, you start talking you know. like Fraser or something. Yeah, because he starts living in nicer quarters, yeah, yeah. drinking better you're, beer, you're drinking, drinking out of glass. Yourself. Drinking yeah, out of you're gl- not making yeah. small beer at home anymore. You're, uh, you're on the ships. <laughs> working, on his, <laughs> working on his addiction. Yeah. Uh, so another uh, last thing that I, if I don't mention, be annoyed at myself. Um, Maddie, you're correct to say that the uh, the Harrisbury Porter had a short life because Harrisbury wasn't around that long because yeah. um, of the fire. But Porter did have a you know quite a long reign in uh, in the world of beer. So yes. it lasted mainly early early 1700s, like 1710 or so, maybe to it stayed incredibly popular in the marketplace until the until 1850. But it was still around Anglia in England uh, until until 19. 19- until basically World War One, World War Two, kind of the early 20th century kind of destroyed a lot of a lot of English beer. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, so Porter is a very important style of beer and that deserves its own. Uh, yes, I definitely and I definitely didn't mean to sure. downplay Porter itself. Just just that particular that particular yeah. one and how one beer can have its own specific identity. Maddie, you did great. That's that's only one demerit. I'm doing my best. Uh, I read. I looked at a lot of letters written by George Washington. This week. <laughs> That's um, hilarious. Uh, not a lot of interesting stuff. And also, again, he ordered a lot of beer and a lot of food and wine. I also like that Washington... When, when you read those letters, was it like in my voice? It was actually voice? in that voice. It, it, was, it was in my in, voice? It was mostly in the later voice, though. <laughs> I, the early voice. I didn't the early really take the early yeah. voice. I didn't quite. Yeah. And uh, I also did like in that quote that he, that he calls out cheese as well. You look back on George Washington as being like, I only buy my cheese and my Porter American. We make great cheese and porter. Well, he knew how good porter and cheese are Ooh, when they're paired together. That's another episode. That is, Can't have one without the other. Awesome. So that is, yeah, that's the Washington and the hair. That's the name of that story that I've given it. <laughs> the Washington the and the hair. That's what I've given it. Cool. So why don't we move on? Let's just get right into our uh, tasting beer. Again, Rich, you picked out Stone's Chocovesa. Yeah. I'm going to crack open this bottle if you want to just take a second, kind of describe the beer and... Why you picked it? Yeah, yeah, sure. It's so, it's a super fun beer. It mashes together a lot of different styles and influences within within American craft beer. So, uh, the past couple episodes, we've focused on some kind of classic, generally more sessionable or lower alcohol, great craft beers, uh, Anchor Steam and Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. This time, we're turning totally the other way and doing Stone Chocovesa. So, Stone is based in uh, originally in Escondido outside of uh, San Diego, actually, originally in San Marcos, but now they're in Escondido outside of San Diego. And they are known for brewing brass. Ash, bold, brawny beers. They're not. A, they're not afraid of bitterness. They are not afraid of having beers that are so full flavor that they can be polarizing. So some people don't love them, and other people just you know flock to them. And I absolutely, um, <clears throat> I absolutely love love their beers. I lo- love so, them too. Uh, Ch- the bre- the, their brewery in Escondido is really great. Have too. you been there? I've I have. never been there. Several times. Yeah. There. Yeah. Yeah. We drove. That's that. super cool. We went there once. It's it's beautiful. There's there's like a spot the world, for weddings and everything. Yeah. yeah. Good food, too. Really good food, yeah. too. Yeah, it's a great spot. Oh, I have been there. Yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> I have been there. Yeah, I've, the food is what jogged my memory. Um, yeah, so, yeah, they're, they're, doing, they're doing it right. Um, they yeah. got great beer, and, but they often tend to be higher in alcohol, higher in bitterness. They made their name on Arrogant Bastard, uh, which is sort of like a big, I don't know, kind of double imperial red uh, ale, but basically like an IPA. They do lots of IPAs, double IPAs. 
with Chocovesa, and it's spelled X-O-C-O-V-E-Z-A. So it's like a mashup of two uh, Spanish words um, for uh, choco for chocolate, which is, I guess isn't Spanish. It's like, um, you know, Be more native, native, Mexican. Uh, native Mexican, yeah, yeah. like, mm-hmm. you know. Aztec or something, and then um, for chocolatel for chocolate, and then uh, cerveza. They they took the vesa part of that. Is a chocolate beer. It's like eight percent alcohol, eight and a half percent alcohol, and it's got uh, tons of uh, dark malt in it. Uh, it's basically like a big um, imperial porter with a lot of again with a lot of dark malts, some caramel malts. Um, and then a decent amount of bitterness. Uh, but then on top of that, they've added a whole bunch of interesting ingredients to it. So there are uh, cocoa nibs in there. So you get a lot of nice chocolate aroma. It has uh, coffee in it. Oh, wow. It has pasilla chilies in it. It has uh, nutmeg, clove, vanilla. What else? Am I am I making some of the stuff um, up? No. Uh, vanilla, cinnamon, coffee, vanilla. Okay, cinnamon, not clove, yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, so a bunch of really delicious uh, yeah. stuff that they've added in there um, <clears throat> that is really easy to add to... Uh, you know, to add the flavor of that to the beer. However, they've done it enough times and figure out the right recipe and the right ratio for it. They actually, it's a homebrew recipe from, uh, I think from one of their employees. That's so they used to have this contest where they'd have their employees pair up into teams and homebrew, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, for like a company party. And then whichever uh, homebrew people like the best, they decided to brew at, at a commercial scale gotcha. um, and release to the public. So well, this is this is one of those beers. How would you recommend drinking a beer like this? And I know that's kind of a, obviously a weird question, but just, it's you know, delicious. like when you're drinking like a crisp lager, you can drink it easy and drink a lot whereas this is a lot more flavor it's mm-hmm. it hits you a little harder like so is this something you you drink generally in a smaller quantity and like smaller sips over a longer about a time i mean obviously it's higher alcohol but would you i would say drink drink it how you want first and foremost but i think that you know this is this is the sort of beer where it really benefits from being poured into a glass uh but especially into a glass with a um an inwardly tapering mouth to it you know basically like a snifter don't use like a pilsner or a pint glass or something where the, the um shape of it is like a v do something where it's more a shape like like a uh <laughs> like a an n lowercase n or something i'm really struggling <laughs> with this one but uh basically yeah you want something that's going to focus the nose like a called. tulip so use like a wine glass or a snifter yeah. this beer has so much flavor yeah it's so good i feel like this is different from the other ones in that like when you gave us the pale ale it was like finding the flavors this one you know right on the label mm-hmm. and also on the taste you taste the pepper and the chocolate and the coffee. Oh, I totally get the pepper, the yeah. chocolate, the coffee. Mm. I also I also think this is nicely so, compared vanilla, to especially like it's compared to some places that do the the stouts where there's like a lot of flavor. Like sometimes we get a chocolate stout and it's super chocolatey, but this I don't think any of the specific flavors overwhelms you. You can taste them there. Mm-hmm. Maybe the pepper is the most prominent, but that's just because it's a pepper and yeah, you know that kind of sets apart and things like coffee and chocolate mix a little better, but I, but I think mm-hmm. it's like kind of a nice it all fits together smoothly. It all, it, nothing is, is really hitting me super hard or harsh, and I don't feel like I'm being hit by a high-alcohol beer, which sometimes happens with stouts that are super, you know, sweeter and and, mm-hmm. and high in ABV. Well, yeah, it's, I mean, it's got a ton of flavor, as Larry says, and, uh, but Maddie, you're right, it's it's so integrated. Basically, it's very harmonious, is, is, is a common descriptor um, for this sort of thing, where no flavor is too disjointed. It doesn't, it's not too loud in any one direction. There is plenty of bitterness, if you look for it, but it's balanced by a lot of maltiness and sweetness. And then if you notice all the sweetness, you're going to be happy that that bitterness is there. Nice warming uh, effect from the alcohol. It's not so hot that it stings your nose, but it is mm-hmm. this nice mellow warming note. If you drink enough of it, it'll sort of you'll get a little bit of numbing on your tongue, I think, from from the alcohol. It also has uh, it's got some savory notes. So a lot of what 
you might read on the label makes you think of sweet stuff. So like chocolate, uh, cinnamon, uh, nutmeg, things like that. But it also does have the, the savory element of the chilies and the coffee, both of which bring in this, this aroma that I call, it's technically called a pyrazine, methyl pyrazine, um, that smells like green bell peppers. So if you notice that in this beer, it's coming from the coffee and from the chili peppers. But it's actually a signifier that I look for um, when I'm just tasting a stout or some sort of dark beer. I'm tasting it blind, say, um, and I don't know if it has coffee in it or not. You know, the dark malts that are in it will make it smell like coffee and roasty stuff to begin with. But then I'll look for also that green bell pepper note because uh, coffee has that as well. And also look for a little mm. bit of tannin. So do you notice any drying astringency on the back of your, of your palate from from, uh, from the coffee and from the uh, the cacao also? Well, let me take a sip. Let me see if I can let's, find let's, let's biff tannin. <laughs> yeah. A little, yeah. Cool. Now, at, at what temperature would you suggest to to drink this? You would you would suggest to drink this, um, not like ice cold, right? To 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 really experience right. all the flavors. Yeah. So the colder you drink something, the more the hardnesses come out. The warmer you drink something, the more the softnesses come out. Hardnesses in a beer are things like you know like sourness and bitterness, carbonation, and then softnesses are things like alcohol and malt and sweetness. And so this beer has a lot of both of those, but it's nice to be able to notice it all in concert, mm-hmm. right? You know, so we definitely allow it to, to breathe a little bit, allow it to open up. You'll notice more of those uh, those kind of sensitive, delicate aromatics underneath all the kind of the bigger, brasher aromatics as well, if you drink it a little bit warmer. Wait, actually, I like did, to notice the malt and the alcohol at did, a warmer Did you say, are you drinking one right now? I wish. No, I'm, okay. I'm drinking with you in spirit. I'm <laughs> drinking uh, an imperial oatmeal stout from uh, from Fremont out in uh, Seattle. Gotcha. Uh, it's called Dark Star. So. It's a. It's got some crossover with what you guys are drinking. Cool. But it doesn't have any of the extra spices. Great. I just thought to ask because because I, I know this one is nationally distributed, so people can find it, and they mm-hmm. have a I, they have a website that can point you in, to stores like Whole Foods and stuff like that. Will sometimes have it. Mm-hmm. And you picked this one up from Bevmo. You got that one. From this Bevmo? one was from Bevmo. Okay, lovely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it is available in Montana too, where I live, but um, I couldn't find any for this show. And let me ask one other thing. This is coming because I'm looking at the bottle right now. So the bottle is one pint, six fluid ounces. Is this a 375 mil? Is that that amount too? I'm bad. No, 375 is 12.7 ounces. Okay. Uh, this is 22 ounces. It's a uh, bomber, right? Yeah. And I look at this bottle and I'd love one for myself. If I'm at home and I have it at home, I want this bottle. But I don't want to crack mm-hmm. it open because I'm not going to drink the whole thing. Like right now I have Larry with me so uh. we can split this. Yeah. What is mm-hmm. what is the intent of this size of bottle? I guess is what I'm asking. It seems like it's too much for one person, but not quite enough for yeah. you know bigger party serving. Well, first of all, let me say that with beer, because it's not as highly carbonated most of the time, because it's not as highly excuse me carbonated as ironically I'm burping right now from the carbonation <laughs> of my own beer, because it's not as highly carbonated as things like Coca-Cola or champagne, for instance. Open up a bottle of it and then just stick it in your fridge overnight. As long as you keep it cold, it will hold on to most of the CO2 that's in it. So it's not going to hold on to it perfectly, but I'll typically open a 22-ounce bottle and then I'll just park it in the fridge overnight if I don't drink it all. And it'll be fine the next day or the next evening, you know. That's great to know, yeah, because it seems like like this size, like especially if you go to, I think Whole Foods in my head is a big one, but there are some stores that just Mm -hmm. like have a ton of bottles that are this size that are... Bigger than a than a twelve you know twelve ounce bottle. There there are a few reasons that it's that it's around. One is that it it's usually for for more limited run bottle or more limited run beers. Uh, it's a good way to allow people a more special experience rather than the twelve ounce bottle, which leads to perceptions of like oh this is just like every other beer. It's gonna be five percent alcohol and it should be this price or whatever. You know the larger format is what it's called. Format is the size of the bottle. The larger format it's something special. Either you drink it yourself and have a special time with it, or you uh, ideally you share. 
share it with people. So you build a memory around it. You know, there are a lot of beers that are less expensive that are bottled in those larger formats, but it's just like, hey, I'd rather buy one bottle rather than, you know, two cans of something. It's not that convenient a size, if, especially if you're not sharing it. So it's really, they're really hard to sell in restaurants. So I've consulted with a lot of restaurants. I've worked in a lot of restaurants where, you know, the, the large formats just are, you know, it's where beer goes to die, basically, because people are not interested, unless it's a beer-focused restaurant where people want to share a 750-milliliter bottle or with friends at the table, especially if they're pairing with food, it's not that sort of situation, then it's really hard to sell those beers because most of the time people will, will order a beer. Mm -hmm. It's either draft, mm -hmm. so it's a, you know, a 10-ounce serving to a 16-ounce serving, or it's one imported 330 milliliter, which is 11.2 ounces, or it's a 12 ounce bottle, and that's it. And then they move on to another cocktail or to a wine or whatever. And so it's hard. They're they're hard to sell on premise. And they're so hard on to sell on premise. In, Got it. Gotcha. Industry term for restaurants. I do feel like Rich, you helped me when we were traveling. You helped me to look more at the bigger bottles. Because I, I would help you finish you would, them. Yeah, you would order, you would like order <laughs> them and like kind of be like, oh, this is okay. I could do this. Mm. And every now and then, well, like, I'll order that bigger bottle. Like we have this place. I think we talked about last time where I had plenty of the younger father's office. They have like a few like bigger, bigger bottles Yeah, and you'll cool. order it and they'll kind of stop you and warn you. Sometimes they'll be like, it's a big bottle or they'll be like, it's yeah. however many milliliters. And I'm just like, hmm, bring it on. Oh, I, th I think it was the first time we <laughs> went to the brewery, Rich. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if you remember that. I think it was after, I, after a play <laughs> I, I did, after a show I did, man. <laughs> and, and, and Rich, Rich gave me that warning. He was like, just be careful with these beers. <laughs> and my God, <laughs> Those things hit. Yeah, Ooh, they're delicious. They're delicious, but they they will hit you. Yeah, that's a that's a double double whammy there because those are not only large format bottles, but they also are high in alcohol. High in man. alcohol, yeah, so good so, too, so delicious. But yeah, Maddie, I hear you, man. The those large bottles, like if if you have a guide, you know, if like like one of my roles when when I'm with my friends, when I'm just chilling with you, or if we're out, you know, I'm working at a restaurant, suggesting stuff, you know, in the the capacity of a of a cicerone or sort of a, a sommelier or whatever, you know, I need to know about this beer so I can help steer people toward the ones that they're going to like, even mm -hmm. if they're large format, and recommend the right ones to to share with friends. But if you don't know them and you haven't had them before, you might be reticent to splurge for the extra expense, you know, at a lot of these restaurants, you know, a larger format, the 22 ounce bottle of Chocoveza that you're drinking right now at a restaurant could be 15, 20, 25 bucks. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of a steeper price for people to sort of experiment with. Yeah. Um, so it's, they're, they're tricky. They're tricky. And I'd say, I'll say about the Chocoveza, just going to the tasting of it. I, one of my, Stone is a funny brewery for me because in my personal preferences, not that I don't like a lot of beers, but I tend to not love hoppier beers. Like I tend to not love okay. the West Coast IPAs and the hoppier stuff. And they do that mm. a lot and they hit you hard with it. But I think it's a good place for people like me to get some good quality ones though, to kind of challenge that feeling because they have a lot of them that I do enjoy. But yeah. also with this one, particular coffee in a stout is not usually something I like. I, I, I think I it, agree with you on that. To, to me, a lot of the times, a coffee will overwhelm the stout, and it's yeah. like I'm drinking mm -hmm. just coffee poured into my beer, and it tastes kind of weird, and I don't love it, and it tends to not mm -hmm. be a type I like. But with the Chocovesa, not that this is an ad for Chocovesa, but I really, <laughs> I think the coffee blends well, like you said, with the, with the peppers and with the and that vanilla. And now that I have that green, the green bell pepper aroma and everything, and the vanilla and everything kind of combines well, and it doesn't overwhelm every, anything, so it doesn't feel like I'm t I'm drinking just a weird version of coffee. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good. Good. Well, yeah. I mean, I don't. I agree. Like, we don't want this to be an ad for Chocovesa, but we're not going <laughs> to recommend any beers on this podcast to drink that aren't going to be good. So, yeah, I definitely want you to enjoy it. As for finding that balance and that nuance, known for for very brash, bold, bitter, intense beers, um, but that doesn't mean they're low in quality. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's their. I that's love their, 
I love them. Yeah. Self righteous. Yeah. Ruination. Yeah. Ugh. Well, I, I also yeah. say can I I don't I don't think I've told this yet, but I don't think I've said this yet. But in, on the podcast, but Rich, when we first were sitting down the, for the very first time, I think I had a view. What was that beer? I don't know. It was in Belgium. Uh, you had an Avec Le Bon Vieux. Yeah, Avec Le Bon Vieux. That's it. At the and potato place? The potato, the potato and salad place. place? Look, I had so many good <laughs> potatoes in Belgium. Oh, my the good goodness. potatoes. The, the, they know the potatoes. Uh, but I remember you specifically, you, you asked me, you asked my dad and me what beer we liked. And my response mm-hmm. to you, which I would never have now, I responded, I'm not big on IPAs mm-hmm. because hoppy is just not my personal preference. And I remember your response. I don't know, remember word for word, but I remember your response was basically, oh, no, you like some IPAs. It's like you, <laughs> your response was basically, no, some IPAs are for you. You just haven't had the right ones yet. Um, <laughs> like it was just, and, and, I, and I honestly like if like taking that with me and that's kind of the, the mindset that I think really guided me in the right direction that I was like, oh, it tastes like kind of different things. And then I, you know, I hadn't had Pliny the Elder yet. Um, oh. And now I have, and it's a fantastic beer fantastic. that I love. And there are a lot of there are a lot of IPAs that I liked and I still have, you know, personal preferences for what sure. flavor, mm-hmm. you know, if something's like trying to kill me with hops. I don't always love it. <laughs> but, um, but I think that mindset is a really great one that I think a lot of people have, especially with beer. A lot of people like IPAs and they're like, I'll just get an IPA and always get an IPA. I don't like those other ones. Or they'll say, I don't like mm-hmm. IPAs. Or, and I think just learning that like, there's kind of a whole lot of options in each one. There's quality versions of each one has really helped me to mm-hmm. yeah get to know a lot of new flavors and really appreciate the drink a lot more. That's my goal. I want to help people to dive more deeply into beer and figure out what they like. And, you know, if you go even further, you can figure out why you like it and come up with, with the right descriptions and stuff for it. But the main goal is just understand that there's so much diversity within beer mm-hmm. you're going to find something that you like you know there's a beer that's going to be perfect for the mood you're in or the the palate you have there's you know whatever you like we can find it so <laughs> hang out with me and we'll, we'll find you the right <laughs> beers is my goal <laughs> on that note we've got a couple a uh, couple of listener listeners wrote into us and i think we got time to get to them lovely so first of all i'm going to read this uh very nice email i'm going to read the whole email if any if you guys write in and you don't want me to read the email, let me know. Or if you just want me to read the question or whatever, I don't want to be, you know, invasive. Maddie, Larry and Rich, loving the podcast. I enjoyed tasting the Sierra Nevada Pale Ale along with you. So I definitely recommend telling us what to taste next time we're putting it in the show notes. And I tried to do that. I tweeted this week about the Choco Mesa. <laughs> and I'm going to try to always remember to do that. Remember that. Yeah. I also liked how in the first episodes there were some recommendations to seek out, which I did. So Rich, I'm going to the Denver area and Golden and Fort Collins soon. Any brewery recommendations from Ben and Greenfield? Thanks, Ben. Massachusetts. Yeah. Hey, thanks, Ben. Um, <clears throat> yeah, very nice email. Appreciate uh, appreciate you listening. Yeah, I mean, Denver has, I mean, there's, there's a good brewery every, you know, just throw a rock, you're going to hit a good brewery out there. I haven't been there in eh, six, seven years at this point, but so I'm sure it's a new, there are new breweries out there right now. But, you know, breweries I've enjoyed in the past are uh, River North or Rhino Brewery. What else? Uh Prost is a German style brewery. There's another German style brewery that I'm blanking on the name of right now that's out there that has good stuff. Then Gold, yeah, I, I did the tour at Coors at uh, Golden 20 years ago. <laughs> it le- left a mark on me, so I'm, I I definitely helped, or it helped to cement my love of beer going out there. So that's a good spot. You know, one of my favorite spots is called Sandlot, and it's in Coors Field. It's in Coors Stadium where the Rockies play. So depending on when you go, it might or may not be open because it depends on whether the Rockies are in <clears throat> whether you know baseball is in season yet. It's in season. Uh, however, go ahead. I think it just. I think Where's it did. Tonight? I think the season just started, right? Or it's about to. So it might uh, be. Soon. Yeah, spring break. Or end, spring end of March. Start. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, but they are. They're sort of a spinoff from Coors. Uh, it's called Coors Field, and Coors is obviously the biggest game in in Colorado for uh, for for beer. But it is a bunch of their older uh, like 
basically the brewers that are, it's almost as if they're, they're choose to be put out to pasture because they end up um, playing around with uh, all these, you know, it's really great equipment mm-hmm. and their ability to get really great ingredients um, from the larger brewery. However, they make really cool, fun, uh, regional German styles of beer. Oh, cool. So Coors is known as, known for brewing lagers. Um, Sandlot does uh, lagers. There's money uh, to brew incredible, like German versions of uh, regional German style lagers. So cool. it's a I- super fun I was I was in Denver doing a play maybe two years ago. Great Divides out there too. Yes, yeah, yeah. A thank of, you, Larry. A lot yeah. of fantastic stuff at Great Divide. Uh, I totally agree. I'm remembering now that I sent you a big text with a list of like ten breweries that I'm blanking on right now. <laughs> yeah. You asked me the same question. Where where do I drink in Denver? Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, Great Divide is awesome, for sure. I guess maybe, Rich, I should not hide these questions from you in case you'd like to gather some answers. Um, well, I don't... I've, I, most most questions asked of me, Maddie, in my, in my life are, are uh, impromptu. <laughs> yeah, so I'm, right, I'm, I'm <laughs> happy running with it. And then this one's fun. This one's going to hint at something. I think we're going to do an episode devoted to it soon. Um, this is from on Twitter from at Fade the Fish. At Fade the Fish says, Hi, guys. Great show. I have a question for Rich. And I know the answer to this. Do you do food pairing recommendations with your beer? Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, without a doubt. And then, uh, but then he says, I am a big fan of Belgium's Chimay Ale. And I was curious if you had an entree that pairs nicely. Ooh, good question. Yeah. Good yeah, question. that's cool. Beer and food pairing are just, it's so delicious. And, and good pairing that, you know, where everything complements it, uh, everything else, it, it's like one plus one equals three is the way I like to describe it. So, Maddie, you were talking about just like dumping coffee into a beer to make a coffee beer, a coffee stout. You know, that's like one plus one equals two. You know, good coffee stout can be can benefit. The beer can benefit from the coffee and the coffee can benefit from the beer. And that's one plus one equals three. And the same thing happens with a good beer and food pairing. So, yeah, Chimay, uh, there are three or the four different Chimays that I can think of. So I'm not sure which one you're talking or the reader's talking about. But uh, there's Chimay Doré, there's Chimay uh, Premier, which is the red. Uh, Chimay Saint-Saint, which is the the white, and then Chimay Blue, which is uh, the the Grand Reserve. They're all they all share the same yeast, though, and that yeast strain produces a lot of uh, banana, fig, clove, orange flavors. Um, so a lot of fruit, a little bit of spice, and the beers tend to be uh, fairly malty, and uh, the the red and the blue tend to be kind of caramelly as well, caramelly, a little toasty. So they're delicious with a lot of different foods um, because those beers are um, they sound sweet, but they're actually it, if you look for it, it they're kind of dry. It's kind of hard to find a lot of sweetness in there. They smell sweet, but they don't actually taste sweet. So that means that they're not automatically dessert beers. They're great with a lot of savory foods. So I'm glad that um, that he's asking about uh, uh, what entrees to pair this with. So do the traditional stuff that they would have in Belgium. So a lot of stuff with cheese, mushrooms, onions, uh, beef or chicken or pork, um, you know, kind of typical like hearty, uh, uh, you know, Northern European pub fare. So what comes to mind is something like, uh, let's see, like a pork, um, sorry, a pork chop uh, with a like an mm-hmm. apple compote or apple uh, um, like sauce on it uh, with potatoes and uh, a lot good. of onions and it mushrooms. Sounds delicious. Would be good. <laughs> good Lord, you're uh, making me hungry. Shame, shame with a pork chop with applesauce. <laughs> yeah. Good how about uh, just any, like a roast chicken would be fantastic with it. Again, with potatoes, keeps some, you know, keeps a potato element in there. You know, it's fun to, to think outside the box a little bit um, with stuff like that, though, moving out of sort of the, um, the kind of the meat and potatoes and cheese idea. Let's see. Let's think of like a seafood that could work with it. You know, scallops could work well. There's a there's a great pub or a bistro really in, in Brussels um, called uh, In It Spinakopka, which means it's Flemish for the, the spider web. Um, and they serve a, um, a scallop dish that is covered in a cream sauce made from Rochefort 
beer. And Rochefort is a brewery that's right next to Chimay that uses the same yeast as Chimay. Um, so it sounds funny to do a, a creamy beer sauce with scallops. We don't do that a lot in the U.S., um, but it's traditional Belgian, and it's going to be fantastic. Mm. So you can try that. Wow. Um, find that recipe. Yeah, what else? Uh, how about um, barbecue ribs, uh, sweet potato pie, a lot of stuff from Ooh. you know from the American South Ooh. sounds good. Like fried chicken would be delicious with it. So those are those are winners. Uh, what about China? Something like a uh, just like mapo tofu would be great with it. Um, get a little bit of spice in there. The beer is going to kind of tamp down some of that spice, as well as work with sort of the richness of uh, of the noodles and the sauce and the the pork and the tofu that are in there. Um, there's just, there's so many different ways you can go with that. Um, those beers are super, super friendly with food. So I'm glad that the, the awesome. listener, I've, sorry, I've forgotten his name, uh, digs those beers. That was at Fade the and, Fish. Okay, great. Rich. I'm glad that at Fade the Fish is a fan. And uh, yeah, keep keep experimenting with a lot oh, of different Rich, also, also, Rich, oh. you, you, um, you, love, you love beer, don't you? <laughs> I do like beer. I also like food. So yeah, I'm, I'm stoked. Food and beer pairings is something Rich is incredibly good at. Incredibly good As, as someone good who at. has gone to yes. restaurants with Rich, and he's like, you should probably, if you're going to get this, if you're going to get Stump or something, well, Stump was, is the <laughs> finest dish I've ever had. It's, it's mashed potatoes in Belgium with, <laughs> with mixins, basically, kind of. But, uh, but, he, but, he, but the first, one of the first meals I had, he, he, he recommended a beer, and it... Like he said, the one plus one equals three things. It really does enhance it. And we're definitely totally going to get into more, that more because that's, I don't think people realize it's not just this tastes good next to it, this. It elevates like, it. Like it just makes the whole meal feel more complete. And yeah, the be- the beverage part can be equally important to the food. When I turned 40, um, my wife flew me um, to San Francisco to see Rich and, and um, his wife. And um, yeah, he hosted a, a pairing, a food pairing for me and some <laughs> friends. And it was incredible it was educational too but it was incredible (laughs) yeah it was great it was a man it was fantastic that was a brunch right it was it was the middle of the day yeah it was in the middle of the day it was perfect and and then we went to that spot what's the name of that um tornado tornado yeah they had good stuff there too is that like tornado the one in san diego is that related uh yep yep the one in san francisco is the first one and then there are a couple of satellite locations yeah Um, sadly the san diego the san San diego one's closing i think oh really yeah Yeah. i heard about that yeah Yeah, so we're definitely as we explore more beer beer flavors and all that stuff we're definitely going to get into pairings so everyone listening can kind of yeah learn great tips on on what to pair with the beer and how to pair yeah just yeah to make the the, both the beer and the drinks sing um oh and i also wanted to mention one thing ben ben um in the front who wrote the first letter from greenfield he wrote that there are some damn fine breweries in massachusetts by the way I'm sure there are. We were talking yeah, a couple, agree. yeah, a couple episodes ago about um, Treehouse and, yeah, Treehouse, uh, and Trillium. Trillium. Neither yeah. of which, clown neither shoes. Neither of which I've had the pleasure to have. Have you had clown shoes? Who? Clown shoes? I don't clown know. The name oh yeah, clowns, I know but, clown shoes. But the beer was really good. Yeah, clown shoes. It's the beers are great. So that's that's the program for this week. Thank you. It's uh, a damn good program. <laughs> was that was that George Washington? I heard. No, that was uh, that was his uh, little brother um, Jeffrey. So yeah, so that that's that. You know, we had a little piece of American history again. Like there are so many little pieces of cultural history that are related to beer, and it's that's gonna we're gonna go through every one of them. Thanks so much, uh, Rich. Is there anything else uh, you want to promote? Anything going on you want to talk about? No, just keep keep drinking good beer. <laughs> I should. I should have more stuff to promote. I, I'll, I'll spare people though this time. <laughs> cool. And we'll always point. Yeah, and I'll, I'll, I'll always uh, we'll always tweet out uh, links to your site and everything because you got a ton of cool resources on there and information about what you're up to. Also, your Instagram is a whole lot of fun when you post pictures of various beers and foods. Yeah. 
Well, thanks. I appreciate it. Larry, is there anything going on with you? You want to promote anything? Uh, any any shows or anything uh, coming out? I got some stuff coming up, but nothing in the right now. Cool. So we'll talk about it when it comes uh, out. Yeah, we'll let you know when it's happening. Thank you very much for listening uh, to Liquid Bread. <laughs> Liquid Bread. Did we figure out how to end it? I don't know. Did you try to figure out how to open it and end it? I was hoping to say cheers at some point, and then the music. Wait, I thought we were going to sing the song. We're not going to sing the song. What song do we have? The song we wrote. The song. Larry, didn't you prepare the song? Hell no, I prepared no song. Beer. It's beer. Perfect. Cheers, everyone. Happy, happy, happy beering. Happy beering. Happy beering.